The Seahawks ranked a disappointing 25th in scoring defense last year, but there's plenty of talent on that side of the football, especially after a busy offseason. Should the Seahawks have at least one player in the top 10 at their respective position group on defense? Nick Lee and I are going to be discussing and debating on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Thursday episode by my co-host, Nick Lee, who is dressing nice and snazzy today from Spokane. Must be a very important episode of Locked On Seahawks. We're less than two weeks away from training camp. I still can't believe that I'm saying that, but we are inside two weeks left until camp. We're going to be breaking down offensive undrafted free agents, playing a little love them or leave them heading towards the start of training camp. Plus, we'll continue our training camp preview on the offensive line with the tackle position, essential questions, depth charts, and much more. Jam-packed episode coming your way, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Last year, the Seahawks were pretty disappointing on the defensive side of the football, particularly with a 25th-ranked scoring defense and a 30th-ranked rushing defense. There were certainly some positives from that group a year ago. Tariq Woolen playing out of his mind, earning a Pro Bowl selection. Quandre Diggs finishing strong. Uchenna Nwosu had a really good first year in Seattle. But overall, Nick, that was one of the weaker spots, despite the fact that Seahawks had got to the playoffs. And yet, it's that time of year. It's ranking season. ESPN with their annual top 10 by position polls. Not a single Seahawks player made the top 10 at any of the defensive position groups. And based on their overall stats last year as a unit, maybe you can understand that. But at the same time, it does feel like that this group is maybe being overlooked or underrated a little bit, at least in terms of actual talent. Oh, but honestly, is anyone surprised? I mean, <laughs> at this point, it's almost, you know, to be expected. The, the two biggest surprises, obviously, for me are Quandre Dix. And he, he took to Twitter uh, his case, which he should, and he does. Um, it is an absolute top five safety in this league. He's been consistent over, you know, better part of half a decade. I mean, I don't know what else he has to do. And he, he himself was asking those questions. Um, so I think Quandre Diggs is, and, and Bobby Wagner, of course, um, the two most egregious omissions. Um, Bobby Wagner, I don't know if he's getting dinged for his age, certainly played to a high level last year. I mentioned last week he was the highest-graded linebacker in pro, on pro football focus in the entire NFL. So I don't know where that's coming from. A few, Other than that, I understand it because the, 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 the reputation around the league is that the Seahawks have had a poor defense pretty much since you know the post-Legion of Boom era. And so they, they look at these like, all right, any – or is Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas coming out of that tunnel? Nope. All right. Well, they're gonna gonna be mid then at least at best. And that's kind of the national, you know, just dismissiveness of, of this team. And some of that's warranted. You know, they they've had some struggles, and some of that is warranted. And I think just as a whole, the 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 reputation that the defense has is going against them right now. And I have two things. One, I think this team can be you know better than the sum of its parts. I think that this as a whole. 
um, this group is is better than perhaps what you know they don't have that maybe true in the prime all pro that was an all pro last. I mean, just besides Quandre Diggs, as far as like young up young gun and you know superstar. I mean, Tariq Woolen's reaching that. Bobby Wagner was that. Um, I don't know. If, I mean, it's not like they don't have any star power, but um, that and also I'm saying good. Thanks. Thanks for the bulletin board material. So thank you for that. And it sounds like, you know, it certainly irked Quandre Diggs, maybe it irked Tariq Wollin a little bit. But um, overall, it, it's a, it's mostly, it, it's understandable just from the struggles they've had in, in the recent years. Um, the two most egregious ones being Quandre Diggs and Bobby Wagner. And see, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on Quandre Diggs. And that shouldn't surprise anybody that listens to our podcast. I have been talking about this for the last three or four years that I believe Quandre Diggs is one of the best five safeties in the league, let alone top 10. And he has every right to mouth off a little bit about this being omitted, being an honorable mention selection. If you read the blurb in the article, The blurb says that he's an underrated player. Well, then why is he not in the top 10? He's one of the best safeties in the league. But where I'm going to disagree with you, I think Bobby Wagner should probably be on the precipice of top 10. I could see him being in the the bottom. But as this ranking is set, it's not about career achievements. It's not a five-year projection. It's literally who do we think are going to be the 10 best of this position next season. And because Bobby Wagner is 33 now, he's going into year 12, There may be a lot of the scouts, coaches, and executives that were pulled for this particular study that don't feel confident that he is going to be a top top 10 linebacker this year. And I don't know if he will be. I mean, based on his track record, I would expect that he's going to be. If he plays anywhere like he did last year, then yes, he is a top 10 linebacker, but he is going into year 12. The one that irks me is Tariq Woolen. Because if you're going to have Sauce Gardner at number two, and this is not a knock on Sauce Gardner. I think Sauce Gardner is a fantastic football player. I think he is one of the best corners in the NFL. But if you're going to have him at number two, and Tariq Woolen isn't even in your top ten with the production he had last year, especially being a fifth-round pick coming in the league, and maybe that's the reason he is in the honorable mention and not top ten, because he wasn't a top-five pick like Sauce Gardner. And I don't really buy into the, well, he plays in New York and Woolen plays in Seattle. You know, I don't buy that. Woolen was still a pro bowler. He still finishes a finalist for rookie of the year. But I just feel like he absolutely deserves to be in the top 10. So to me, really, Diggs and Woolen would be the two that make the most sense. And you look at the voting. There were a few other players that got votes, but they didn't get ranked. They didn't get enough votes. Draymond Jones, who was with the Broncos last year, Nuosu, Jordan Brooks, they got some votes. And then Jamal Adams, Daryl Taylor, and Julian Love, none of those three got votes. And that should not be surprising with Jamal Adams because the injury, he played less than 25 snaps last year before he got hurt. Now, could Adams be on this list this time next year if he comes back and has a really good season coming back from injury? Then absolutely. But he did not deserve to be in that realm because he hasn't been healthy enough to play more than a handful of snaps. He's missed a lot of games the last couple of years. So I think overall, it's really not that big of a deal. And I think I could maybe agree on a lot of these position groups that at least based on what we know now, I think Devin Witherspoon could be a top 10 corner at some point very soon, but he hasn't played a game in the NFL. He's obviously not going to be on that list. So I think when you look overall at this defense, 
Bobby Wagner is still a very good player. I could see him being a top 10 linebacker this season. It would not surprise me at all. I would not be surprised if his play dips a teeny bit. He's still really good, but not the player that he was last year. And Quandre Diggs and Tariq Woolen would be the two that I would have the most beef about because I do think Seattle's secondary is really darn good, and those two guys are going to be foundational pieces for that group. Yeah, you definitely make a good point about Tariq Woolen. <clears throat> I mean, it's he it, it certainly was when you – when in comparison to Sauce Gardner, because yeah, I mean, Tariq Woolen took the league by storm on cornerback last year. Absolutely no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I almost feel like everyone, uh, it, the narrative is they're kind of bracing for a sophomore slump for Tariq Woolen. And they're almost like projecting that for him, um, which is unfortunate. I don't think that's happening. Um, even if there's a slight, I don't know if regression to the mean is, is really the the proper phrase, but he could have maybe a slightly less statistical successful season and still be a Pro Bowl level corner. Um, he, that's just how insane Tariq Wollum was last year. So, yes, um, the defense is undervalued. Some of that is the deserved reputation of the last few years. Yep. And some of that is, you know, our true belief and some of the, and, you know, we're upset a little bit because we see the, the pieces moving. We're seeing a bit behind the curtain, so to speak. And we've seen the work put in and some of the underlying, you know, underrated pieces. And we absolutely think that this team can be greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, there's some guys that are on that list. I think Draymond Jones could be a top 10 player next year if he really plays to the contract Seattle gave him. There's a lot to like about his film in Denver and maybe playing in Seattle with a better football team. His name is going to become more of a household name at that position. They have to hope because if he doesn't, that's still the position group that is maybe the biggest question mark for the Seahawks. But nonetheless, these are just rankings. It's just the opinion of coaches, executives, and scouts, and it's not the uh, prophecy. It's not telling you necessarily these are going to be the top 10. It's just who they think. It's slow season before training camp. I could envision several of these defensive players for the Seahawks, especially if everything comes together end of the season if you did a poll that several of them would be included in the top 10 in their position groups coming up next we're going to continue our training camp preview going to the trenches the offensive line the tackle group we'll be checking out charles cross and company looking at essential questions depth charts and much more we'll get to that here in a moment on a thursday edition of locked on seahawks our partners at ebay motors have teamed up with locked on fantasy football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long whether you're prepping for a draft or scouting the waiver wire every week we're going to provide players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster with draft prep underway for the upcoming season let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's ebay's guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week I know Seahawks fans don't necessarily want to hear this, but when making the first overall pick in fantasy football drafts, 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey is a guaranteed fit. A healthy McCaffrey is guaranteed to see well more than 300 touches again in his first full season in San Francisco. He's the centerpiece of the 49ers offensive engine. McCaffrey checks all the boxes, including talent and usage, high floor and ceiling. Run with CMC as a guaranteed fit at number one for a smooth ride to another year of big numbers. With eBay guaranteed fit and over 122 million parts and accessories for your vehicle right at your fingertips, you can make your ride stay running smoothly. Air filters, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternators, shock struts, you name it, eBay Motors has it, and they'll make sure it's the right fit for your car. Because eBay guaranteed fit helps you understand exactly what part you need for your vehicle the first time. So go forward, switch gears, crank the AC in the hot weather, and say goodbye to sweating it out if your ride needs a little fixing up. Because now you'll know 
you'll exactly know always to be set up for success from the get-go with eBay Guaranteed Fit. Everything your vehicle is calling for is just a click away. For the parts and accessories that fit your vehicle, just look the green check. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by my co-host, the well-dressed Nick Lee. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening from down south in Mexico City or you're listening in nearby Portland, Oregon. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers, we had to switch things up with our schedule a little bit at the end of this week, but we are going to have our offensive or our defensive players, our defensive veterans that are on the hot seat. We'll be breaking that down on tomorrow's Blue Friday episode, plus, of course, our forecast Friday. We got two more players coming your way. It's going to be a fun episode. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to our training camp previews, Nick. We are now to the trenches, and I know it's not the sexiest position out there, the offensive tackle spot, but in terms of importance, Left tackle and right tackle are very important positions. And the Seahawks threw two rookies into the starting lineup on day one last year. And certainly Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, they had their share of bumps in the road as rookies. Lucas got banged up a little bit at the end of the year. But really, both these guys started at least 16 regular season games. They played really well in the playoff game against Nick Bosa and company, especially Cross. He gave up just one pressure in that game. And that really has to excite Seahawks fans now going into year two when both these guys have had another offseason to get stronger, to continue working on their technique. And now they know what to expect since they've already gone through their first rodeo in the NFL. That's really the essential question. Just how high is the ceiling going into year two for Cross and Lucas? Yeah, and I, I, what I really liked about these two is they, they both of them really got better as the season went on, um, especially Charles Cross. I think I've mentioned this before, where if you look – at his game by game uh, pro football focus grades, it's like the, 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 you know, the, I don't know what is the odometer or whatever it is, how fast you go. It goes from red, 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 yellow, yellow, green. And that's kind of how his grades turned out to be towards the, you know, as the season progressed, he seemed to get better. And Abe Lucas the same way. Um, and in fact, Abe Lucas had his highest graded uh, game, I think, across the board in that week 18 game against the Rams. So you want to go out and high note there. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, both guys performing well. In the, in the postseason. So um, how you, yeah, did they both like, you know, they didn't both make Pro Bowls, you know, they're not instant all pros. I, I think some of them might have a little bit of an instant or fans want instant gratification that way, but sometimes yeah. it works. And um, I think Charles Cross, especially is going to be a fine left tackle in this league. What I, what I hope happens, Corbin, with these two is that we forget who the backup tackles are. <laughs> we just like completely start to dismiss them because these two are so steady and and so just present and reliable at their position where like they, they kind of just we kind of just don't even think about who who's behind them because that they're playing so solid and they're available what i do appreciate that they were despite being banged up pretty available for the most part last year um which i really helped or i really think helped them you know in their development and getting their feet wet getting their sea legs in the nfl and progressing through the season and now in year two you have a full nfl offseason under your belt with the nutrition program the physical fitness, the strength and conditioning, everything. Now you know what it's like to put more to be a pro. There's a bit more money in your bank account, which probably doesn't hurt. You know, and there's just there's things that are kind of falling into place that weren't so much last year, just to, from a personal standpoint. I think they're going to get more comfortable. So I think as far as how high the ceiling is, um, 
you probably assume it's a bit higher for Charles Cross than it is for Abe Lucas, just naturally. Um, but both of these guys, I could see um, being pro bowlers in, in the near future. It'd be quite incredible for the Seahawks to have pro bowl bookend tackles. And that might be a little bit of a pipe dream, but I think at least one of them has a pro bowl uh, coming in the next couple of years. Yeah, that would be huge news for the Seahawks because they were able to have a top 10 scoring offense last year with two rookies in the lineup at the most important spots. I mean, center is also extremely important, but your tackles in the NFL with the edge rushers that teams throw at you, especially in the NFC West, to put two rookies into the lineup and one of them being a day two, third round pick like Abraham Lucas, and for them to play the way they did, it's a really exciting development for the Seahawks as a franchise but now what you've got to hope and Rob and I have talked about this in some earlier episodes you know Abe Lucas was a four-year starter at Washington State and so maybe he is one of those players that takes really small increment steps year to year which that would still be a big deal because he was solid last year he was a solid starter both these guys were so if Abe Lucas is slightly better than he was last season, you still are going to have a pretty solid right tackle. And then you got Charles Cross, who's only 22 years old, and he did not have near as many snaps at the college level. He was an early entrant to the NFL draft. He's also a guy that came in a little bit smaller. And so I'm really curious to see. I was out there on the practice field for a few practices this offseason, and you didn't get to see him in pads, so it's tough to tell whether Charles Cross really added much weight to his frame. But I'm hoping there's at least five, ten pounds of muscle that he's added to that frame so that he can hold up better at the point of attack against pass rushers. The power rushers are really the ones that gave him problems last year and move guys off the line of scrimmage a little bit more in the run game. I thought his zone blocking was excellent. And again, it's the sweet feet, his nickname. This guy is so nimble for a 300-plus pound tackle, but you just like to see the physicality and the strength, the anchor against power rushes. You want to see those areas improve. If he can fix those areas and take a big leap in those regards this year, he could be one of those guys that goes from being a solid starter as a rookie to being on the cusp of stardom. He's got that kind of a ceiling. I don't know that Abe Lucas does, but Lucas could still be a very solid starter. And you mentioned forgetting the backup tackles. You know, maybe I'm wrong feeling this way, but I almost feel like I'm already there. I already have that comfort level with these two, and I believe they're going to be able to take some big steps here the next couple of seasons. And they already are solid mid-level starters, in my opinion. So you forget somewhat about the guys behind them, your stone Forsythe's of the world. I thought Forsythe played fairly well in the one game he started for Abe Lucas last year. He lost some battles in pass protection, but he's been solid when he's had his opportunities. Jake Curhan didn't get to play tackle last year. He played a few snaps at guard. That might be where his future lies with the Seahawks, or and maybe his roster spot depends on that, playing better at the guard spot. But away from that, you know, Greg Island's been a practice squad guy for three years. Uh, Kendall Randolph is a guy that they've got playing guard. Maybe they move him out to tackle. And they've got Jalen McKenzie. He hasn't played in any regular season game. So there's a big drop-off there after the first couple of guys. They don't have any big-time veterans that they've added to the group. So you hope that these guys can have you forget about them because there are some depth questions there past Stone Forsythe and maybe Jake Curran. Yeah, and I don't think that's you know pretty unique to the Seahawks. That's probably how it is for the most the most teams. But yeah, certainly it's uh, you you don't want to test that depth much. <laughs> and I, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas have proved last year that they can be reliable. You know, the, we we say all the time the best abilities availability. And so far, 
um, despite being dinged up. Most of the, most of the time they were available. So if that happens again, if they both stay healthy, I think that they can probably be maybe calling Abe Lucas a future Pro Bowler is a little extreme, but um, they could probably be one of the more solid tackled tandems in the NFL um, as far as you know the left and right tackle on each on, on the same team in the NFL um, in the next year or two, just if, if they can stay healthy and stay in this little and this consistent trajectory towards improvement. Um, it's kind of weird to think that, you know, that the Seahawks might not have to worry about the tackle position for a while. That's, that's something I have to reprogram my brain for. It's just a different conversation. It's really weird to be sitting here before training camp and be like, you know what? We're set at tackle. We don't have to worry about that position for the next three years minimum because we've got these two guys. And obviously you're hoping you don't see a second year regression. Sometimes we see that with players, then that might reopen the book a little bit, but it is a different era for the Seahawks with some really exciting young offensive linemen, particularly at the tackle positions. And so uh, this is going to be one of those spots that I'm just really excited to see where the growth and development is from the starters, because you don't have a competition this year like you did last year at right tackle. I mean, Cross came in as the starter day one. These guys are going to be your two starters, so you are set, and that's really nice to have that continuity and knowing these guys are youngsters and they're only going to get better moving forward. It's an exciting time for the Seahawks with all the offensive weapons they have. If the line as a whole takes a step forward and the tackles lead that charge, this offense has a chance to be a special unit this upcoming season. Up next, we are going to be having a little bit of fun, some love them or leave them. And, and we're going to have a little twist that's new to the show. And our younger fans are really going to enjoy that. So we're going to be getting to love them or leave them. It's undrafted offensive free agents editions. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm Corbin Smith, your lead host here on the podcast. Glad to be joined as always by Nick Lee here for our Thursday episode. He's usually on our Friday episode. Maybe that's why he's dressing so nice today is because he's joining for the Thursday show. For all of our viewers out there, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for our everydayers, come up tomorrow, defensive veterans on the hot seat. Dallas Cooper and I will be breaking it down plus our forecast Friday with an offensive and defensive player. Going to be a fun episode, and hope you'll be tuning in. All right, it's game time. Normally we do this on Friday, but that's usually next episode, and we're going to bring a little bit of a twist to one of our favorite games, and it's love them or leave them. We're going to do it with undrafted offensive free agent signings. We've got six players. We're going to be starting with the marquee position, and the twist we're going to have here, Nick, instead of just saying you're going to love them or leave them, we get to pick two of the six players. You can do less than that if you want, but no more than two of these players making the 53-man roster for the Seahawks. We are going to be dishing out emojis to describe each player's game, and maybe that emoji can play into whether or not you have them making the football team. It doesn't have to, but it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really excited for this. Let's start love them or leave them here. At the quarterback position, Holton Ehlers, one of the most productive quarterbacks in college football. He also holds a bunch of records in North Carolina, slinging that football all over the place. He could run the ball, scored a ton of touchdowns at East Carolina. Of course, Geno Smith and Drew Locker on the roster. And before this year, a third quarterback making Seattle's roster seemed like near impossible. But there is a rule change that maybe changes things a little bit here for Holton Ehlers. It does. I mean, not necessarily that the Seahawks are going to be, you know, married to that, so so to speak. But um, as far as Holt Naylor's, the, the emoji I selected for him uh, was bas was a basketball. And let me explain. 
Um, not that I should, not that I don't think he should quit football to go play basketball because it's not happening. That is not <laughs> why. Um, I think he's a baller. I mean, he he's just a straight baller. He's 11th. He was 11th in completions and 10th in passing yards in the nation last year. Just lit up the scoreboard at East Carolina. Lit up my BYU Cougars pretty good. Um, and he he was just a, one of those quarterbacks who, yeah, pretty systemic, you know, and had a nice solid system uh, over there at East Carolina. But he really took advantage of that. And I also I used a basketball emoji for a few reasons. One, he used a distributor, like a like a point guard, a baller. You know, he's run, you know distributing on the run. He can throw on the run really well. Pretty good athlete. But also sometimes he was prone to the hero ball and, and tried to chuck up too many threes, so to speak. Um, you know, try to try to take too much on his own shoulders and try to win the game by himself. You know, shooting too many threes when he should be you know distributing like he's really good at more. Um, like we've seen some basketball players do sometimes. So basketball emoji for two reasons: he's a baller, he's a gamer. He can distribute with the best of them, but also sometimes he tries to chuck up too many threes, you know, too many deep passes that fall short or are intercepted, and that, that leads to his demise sometimes. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword there. Yeah, for me, I've got a medal with the number two on it, and that doesn't mean he's second place. I think he's third place for the Seahawks, but I've got the number two because he is a true dual threat. Now, this is not one of those guys, Nick, that is going to go into the combine and run a 4-4 like Anthony Richardson. He's not that kind of an athlete. In fact, he ran in a 4-9, so he's not even the same stratosphere as Anthony Richardson. But if you turn on the tape, we're talking about a guy that's 6'3", 230-plus pounds. He is a big dude. And I'm not calling him Josh Allen because nobody, none of these undrafted rookies are Josh Allen, but he's kind of that style of a running quarterback. He'll bowl through you. He's a guy that breaks a lot of tackles. He'll surprise you with his elusiveness. And he also has the ability to throw on the run. So I think that dual threat capability actually gives him a really good chance with this new rule that teams can have a third quarterback active without it counting against their 46 players active on game day I actually think that there's a chance if this kid plays well in the preseason I think there's a good chance that Pete Carroll is going to say you know what they're giving us a chance to game the system I'm going to make sure I have that insurance policy available in case somehow we have a disaster that strikes and Geno Smith and Drew Locke both get banged up in the same game that you actually have another quarterback available to you and no offense but you're not having DK Metcalf throwing the ball to receivers or Ken Walker the third running wildcat or DJ Dallas we saw what happened last year with that so I actually for this exercise I think Holton Aylers is one of the undrafted rookies that has a chance to make this football team so now I only have one left with five players I'm with you there I'll take Aylers too yeah, so we both are in agreement on that one. Now, up next, let's talk about a guy that's a physical freak. 6'4", 200-plus pounds, ran a 4.37 at the combine. Normally, guys that have those kind of metrics size-wise and athleticism-wise, even if they aren't productive, they usually get drafted. And Matt Landers had almost 1,000 receiving yards last year at Arkansas. So it's not like he wasn't productive, and yet he didn't get drafted. The Seahawks pluck him up as a free agent, and you and I would be in agreement probably that the, the reason that this kid went undrafted is because there really isn't much versatility to his game. He is truly, and this is my emoji for Matt Landers, he is a one-trick pony. Now, is he really good at that one trick? Yes, there's a chance that he could make the Seahawks roster because of that one trick. If he's able to hit a bunch of long throws, uh, catch him in the preseason he might be the guy that ends up making this roster especially if he can play special teams but 
he doesn't have much versatility to his game. He's not a polished route runner. Not a guy that creates a lot after the catch, but he can sure scream downfield, and he has size to be able to win those jump balls. And those kind of traits always intrigue Pete Carroll. I don't think he makes this football team, but I could see him being one of these guys that really makes it interesting with a strong preseason. And I'm sensing a theme here. This is the second guy that carved up my BYU Cougars last year. Um, the defense wasn't very good. Um, yeah, so he, certainly uh, one trick pony, like you mentioned. I went with the bomb emoji for two reasons. I, I've had a couple emojis now where it's a couple layers. One, he, he's, he can catch those bombs. You know, he needs those bombs, those deep bombs from quarterbacks um, to be effective in his game. That's just his game. And that is, that is his one trick is those deep bombs, and he can do it pretty well. And also – I do a bomb because he is really boom or bust. He, he could bomb out easily in camp and we never hear from him again. Um, or he could have like this, you know, he's one of those training camp heroes, you know, insert, you know, Jazz Ferguson here, you know, kind of receiving uh, training camp and preseasons. And he's kind of the boom, um, at least in the preseason, and he gets some hype. So boom or bust. Um, and also he, he's got to have those bombs from quarterbacks, but he doesn't, he doesn't get my second rose, so to speak. Let's talk fullbacks. Now, this makes me really excited. Now, I know Seattle's not listing Griffin Bear as a fullback, but they should because this guy is a freak athlete. He was a wide receiver originally at Louisiana Tech, and then last year they moved in tight end, and that's what the Seahawks have him listed as. And maybe you could call him just an H-back. He's a tight end fullback hybrid, but this guy ran in the mid-four-fives. He's got good size. He's got really soft hands, extremely productive player, scored a lot of touchdowns at Louisiana Tech, not exactly an offensive or passing game juggernaut down there for the Bulldogs. And so this is a guy that I'm I'm really going to be watching closely just because there's some intrigue there. I don't think he makes this football team unless somehow they do move him to fullback and then Pete Carroll's like, wow, I got the second coming of Kyle Juszczyk here. Let's have him on the team. And I'm sure that there's a chance he could maybe play some special teams, but – there's a lot of room to grow as a blocker. I put a unicorn as my emoji just because you don't see fullback prospects or even tight end prospects that have the pure athleticism and movement skills and explosiveness that this kid has. You just got to find a way to take that ball of clay now for a guy that's been a receiver most of his football life and try to turn him into a guy that's going to be able to block and things of that nature. So that's why I think he's probably some time away from being able to play on Sundays, but there's a lot of intrigue here. Yeah, he almost seems like a guy like Andy Reid would like, you know, just you know, kind of he can plug and play. You know, he's got a lot of intrigue. I went with, uh, you know, wind or fast you know, whoosh emoji, uh, the, the dust cloud or whatever, because um, he's quick. I mean, he's he, for his size, he's fluid, he's quick. And there's I, I think there'll always be a, a room for a guy like this in the NFL who has the size, has the versatility. Yeah, I agree that the only real the only real way he makes this team he's not making this team. I, I list on if you look on like the Our Lads you know website he's listed as a as a tight end. There's there's no way he's making this team as a tight end with with how crowded that room is. But yeah, as, as a gadget H back fullback, um, that's kind of coming back in style a little bit. And uh, maybe not the true you know Lorenzo Neal kind of fullback or Mike Allstott, but it, it's it's a bit more of an evolution. And he does fit that bill, but I don't. He doesn't get my my second rose again. But um, he's he's got the quickness, he's got the athleticism that is intriguing and fun to watch. And I can see him you know, having a, some pretty fun uh, moments in preseason. Let's go to the offensive line now, shall we? And we know the Seahawks like offensive linemen that have tight end backgrounds. George Fant, anyone, and, and they've had some success with players like that as swing 
offensive lineman. Kendall Randolph played his entire college career at Alabama, started a handful of games in the offensive line. So he does have that feather in his cap. He started some games in the offensive line for Nick Saban, but most of the time he was that sixth lineman checking in as an extra tackle, an extra blocker playing the tight end position little under 300 pounds, not a big guy, but they have him listed as a guard. I wonder if tackle might be a better fit for him because he has played outside and he is an athletic guy as well. Unfortunately, in this case, we mentioned the tackle depth that this team has. They don't have a lot of depth at that position, but they're listing him as a guard. And with Phil Haynes and Anthony Bradford and the fact Evan Brown can play there, maybe Curran's playing there, I had to put on this one prayer hands just because – it's not a knock. It's just that he's probably one of those guys that's your back uh, back third, uh, back fourth of the roster that probably would need some injuries in front of him to really have a chance to make the 53. Could he be a developmental guy in the practice squad? Absolutely. Uh, but I just don't see him having a fighting chance if everybody's healthy to be able to make this football team. And that's not a knock on him. There's a lot of guys that have that issue in the NFL, but could be a practice squad developmental player. Yeah, I, I, I went – with uh, the emoji, it looked like recycling, but it's like the reverse, you know, just the versatility, just he can, you can switch him around, you can reverse him a little bit, and that will always have a place in the game. And so pull the curtain back a little bit. I probably won't select a second guy to like straight up make the team, but he's a guy that I would love to stash on the practice squad because just his versatility, you know, there's some attrition that starts to come in via, you know, God forbid the tackles uh, or at guard. Um, he's been, he's, he's done all of it. He's played, you know, tight end on in. He's pretty much played everything on the line except for center as far as, uh, as my research could go and, um, you know, play for Alabama. We might roll our eyes at this, but still that's the highest level of college football. And he played it pretty well in, on some championship teams. So yeah, the, the versatility for me is, is really, really valuable, especially along the offensive line. You don't want a one trick pony along the offensive line, especially a guy who can provide that depth, who yeah, probably won't make the roster. Um, but if you stash him on the on the on the practice squad, if you can, um, he might prove valuable later on the road. Maybe put on some some NFL weight, so to speak, uh, with with some more you know in in the program, and he might prove valuable later on. Who is as uh, you know the attrition of the league, the attrition of an NFL season kicks in. So far, the only player that you and I have loved is Holton Aylers, and in large part just because the rule change. I think if that change had not been initiated, then I probably wouldn't be having him make the roster. But it's tough for undrafted guys to make a team, especially with all the offensive firepower the Seahawks have, all the returning starters. That's going to be a hard side of the football for anybody to make the football team. Tight end is not exempt. And in the case of Noah Gindorf, this is a guy that I think if he hadn't had injuries the last two years, not only is he drafted, he might have been a day two guy because he's 260 plus pounds. He can move really well. Doesn't have a ton of catches in his college career, but you can see it on film that he has soft hands and you know he can block. He's coming from North Dakota State, for Christ's sake. If you don't block at the tight end position, you aren't playing for North Dakota State, which has a pro style downhill. Let's run the football down your throat mentality. They've always had that and they've been very good at it for a long time. So for me, even though I don't think that Gindorf was making this team because of who's in front of him, I mean, Noah Fant, Kobe Parkson, Will Disley, Tyler Mabry, it would take a couple injuries for him to even be in the mix. But this is another guy that could be a practice squatter. For my emoji, I put a brick because this guy is a brick blocking people. You turn on the film, he looks like an offensive lineman. In fact, I've seen some people that have said if they put 30 pounds on him, he might be a really good tackle prospect in the NFL. 
but he does have the soft hands. He has the ability to run some routes. He's just got to be able to stay healthy. The ankle injuries the last two years have been a problem, but he has been a rock. He has been a brick there when he has been asked to block people. And you know Pete Carroll gets excited about tight ends that can block people. Yeah, maybe kind of twist a Booger McFarlane quote, like he's a couple of Popeye's biscuits away from a really good tackle or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, for, for my emoji, I, I went with the army helmet. I look for like a you know construction hat, you know, a hard hat. He's a hard hat guy. You know, he, he brings his lunch pail and his hard hat to work and he brings it every day. And that, that is an extremely valuable thing uh, along the line. Um, so he, he, he's going to, he's going to put your nose, his nose into your chest. He's going to, he's going to get his hands on you. Um, and I, I, he's not, you know, this Jimmy Graham, you know, Noah Fant kind of tight end. He's a bit more blue collar, um, which, you know, it's coming from North Dakota state. So I don't know if that's a little cliche, sorry. Um, but it's, there's some value in that for sure. Um, another guy, so I'll, I'm not going to give another guy another spot on here, but I'll split my last rows <laughs> between Randolph and Gindorf just because of the, the, the value they could, they could potentially have, especially if the depth starts to get tested, a guy like him could be valuable. Um, just with his, his size, his, his athleticism, his soft hands. Um, you know, there's always going to be a place in the league for a guy that has soft hands at that size. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a really good trait to have. So I'll, I'll give him the, the, you know, the hard hat, the lunch bell, because you, you need guys like that on your team. Yeah, and, you know, this is a position they got two free agents next year, Kobe Parkinson and Noah Fan. So in terms of practice squad stashing, that's a guy that could have a chance to develop for a year, and then he's playing snaps for you next season, potentially. So I do think Gindorf is a guy that they were going to want to keep around. I just think it would be really difficult for any tight ends to make this team with the experience and talent that they have there. I've still got one of my roses left here for Love More Leave Them, and I'm going to let it wilt, to be honest with you, just because – I think that, and we'll talk about this next week, I think there's more defensive guys that you can see a pathway for them to make the team. With that being said, if I was going to give a second one, this was the toughest one for me, even though I used the snail emoji for good reason. I mean, Jake Bobo ran in the four nines. He ran slower than a lot of offensive linemen did at the combine. That is not a good uh, comparison to have if you're a receiver trying to make in the NFL, and yet... Jake Bobo, you watch the college tape. He doesn't look like he looks like a four-six guy, not a burner, but he doesn't look like he's super slow either. And they had some rough conditions at the pro day workout. So that may have impacted the time that he turned in. You look at what Pete Carroll has said about this guy. You look at what he did against Washington and some of the other teams of Pac-12. I mean, Husky fans, they don't like Jake Bobo because he had a huge game against them last year. This guy is a first down machine. He knows how to get open. He understands defenses. He's big, so he can wall guys off and win contested catches. He's going to be a guy that potentially could be a blocker for you as well. I'm wondering about the special team and versatility, but he would be the guy I would maybe give a second rose for. The problem is there's just so many good receivers on this roster that I just can't see him making it, but he could be one of those priority practice squad guys that maybe is that big slot that you can mix in and maybe at some point this upcoming season, especially if you have an injury or two and you need a, a pick-me-up, this guy's got the football skills. I just still question the athleticism for him to be an NFL receiver. Yeah, I'm with my rose will. <laughs> my rose uh, will, too. Mine is the, the shrugging emoji. Just with some of the, you know, he's got the good hands, but he's not very fast or agile, didn't test really well there. Um, he's that spotty route running, but he's a guy that, seems to it's one of those guys that seems to play faster than he tests um which are always hard guys to to really put a to put your thumb on really to, to evaluate really well so 
Um, I, I could see him being, you know, the guy that makes some plays and, and you know, plays faster than he is. But for now, I'll just give the, uh, the, the last the, or the last dance guy from Michael Jordan. Just, I don't know. You know I don't know what it is, but he seems to make plays. He doesn't have all these great tests, but who knows? We'll see. But he's, he's got his work cut out for him. I actually considered that emoji here too for him just because I don't know. I don't know what to expect. <laughs> I got to see what he does in actual football practices with pads on. And if he's still making plays, then maybe we revisit this and think maybe this kid has a chance to make the football team. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51 Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode coming up on our blue friday episode dallas cooper and i will be looking at defensive veterans on the hot seat and forecast friday we'll have an offensive and defensive player looking at last season in review and projecting what they're going to do for the seahawks in 2023 you won't want to miss it thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your thursday go hawks